This is a Retail Insider Podcast. You're listening to The Weekly. Welcome to this week's episode of The Weekly by Retail Insider. This is Lee Riffett, and I'm joined with Editor-in-Chief Craig Patterson to discuss this week's most read articles from retail-insider.com. We're currently recording on October the 30th, 2019. Yes, the day before Halloween, and I am eating chocolates right now. But we also wanted to mention one advertiser, Oberfeld Snowcap, who's currently supporting this episode for the week, and we'll have a brief message from them later on in the podcast. Thanks for joining me, Craig. Thank you, everyone. Hope everyone's doing well today. Mm-hmm. Well, and our first article that we wanted to talk about in the podcast was the most read article this week for Retail Insider, and that was Shoppers Drug Mart piloting in-store dental centers amid a national wellness expansion, which is kind of cool um, because it's a Canadian icon, and I use the word icon because it's been around since 1962, started out in uh, the Ontario region, and just blossomed across the whole nation over the years, launching the Beauty Boutique brand and subsequently being acquired by the Loblaw companies for... $12.4 billion in 2013, which is awesome. But still, like for me, looking back, um, growing up in Canada, it's a staple. Like you go there for your prescriptions. You go there for your late night movie snack. You go drop off your parcel for Christmas or to pick up parcels from eBay. Like it's, it's a staple. But I didn't necessarily see dental coming along in this this wagon. So, Craig, what did you think about this? Is this a, on their strategy? Uh, at this point, it's something I would have expected. I mean, Shoppers Drug Mart has been trying to innovate and be a health leader for quite a while now. So, you know, they've got this latest dental thing where you can get your teeth straightened. Mm. Uh, uh, they've also uh, announced they're doing Botox, which I, I think is rather interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's something you don't want an amateur doing. Uh, <laughs> they've also got these, you know, stores called Wellwise that they've started rolling out and they're sort of a you know geared towards seniors and it's all about you know aging well essentially so um yeah I think this is beyond brand for shoppers yeah. drug mart but uh at the same time you know I mean your your teeth isn't something to be messed with I sure hope yeah. that these shops are uh, you know a good thing. Yeah. Well, I, I was confused with this article. So me being a hardcore Shoppers Drug Mart fan, I was kind of going, okay, they're bringing dentistry into the stores. Weird, but okay, sure. Rolling with it, looking at the photos and stuff. And I'm expecting, okay, well, there should there be a dentist chair with like, you know, the, you know, the high beams in your eyes and, you know, where's the plumbing, where's the you know suction, where's the water? Like, and none of that was in the photos. I was confused. It looks like they have flat tables that you could be doing your taxes at like I was confused and I was reading reading a little bit more in the article and it looks like they're just doing like teeth alignment straightening and stuff like that so you know delving a little bit further they actually have like clear aligners that they have a video of in our article and stuff so you know if you say that word really fast you get so like it's something that would be more not the bottom Maslow hierarchy of needs general dentistry where you'd be you know doing tooth extractions cleaning people's teeth stuff like that but more for people who want to have their teeth straightened and that's for me, getting braces is a big deal. Like, I mean, I don't know if I'd really want to go do that at Shoppers Drug Mart. That's thousands of dollars typically. Yeah, I mean, I know what you mean. I've never actually had braces or anything like that. So this is sort of something I'm not familiar with. Last time I, I think last time I saw my brother, he had braces. Maybe that was the time before. But, uh, you know, and we're all, we're in our 40s. So, <laughs> no, no. 
Yeah, well, and at the end of the day, though, like when you get braces, like for me growing up, I had the railroad track braces and stuff like that. And that's not what they're doing here. It's more the Invisalign competitor brand Invisaligners kind of thing that they're doing, which is fine. So they're not doing like any kind of like surgeries or anything like that that would require anything hefty. So they would likely just need a tax like table to have like a 3D rendering machine there to scan your teeth and then send it off to the mothership to be able to review and say, yes, this is what we're going to do for you. And then they would just ship it to you in the mail, which makes sense. I just wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable doing that for whatever price that they would be doing it at hopefully cheaper than doing it at a doctor or dentist's office. The other thing is, yeah, okay, they're pairing that with Botox, which for myself, it's a needle in my face, which I, if I'm ever going to do that, I'm just going to do that at a physician's office. I'm not going to necessarily do that. And a lot of people feel comfortable with that, but that makes sense. Generally not, hopefully, right? Yeah, no. um, there's actually something interesting out there too. I, mean, I I was wondering to try this just for fun, but some drugstores also have these things where you put your feet in a machine and they create orthotics. Have you seen that? Yeah, like Dr. Scholl's, right? wonder if they're any good. Somebody told me that they were because, you know, when I go to like, say, an orthopedist or whoever's creating these things, they, they're running, I think, over $400 a pair. Mm, um, yes. I don't currently have health coverage. We'll get working on that. And, <laughs> um, you know, so, you know, I would pay that out of pocket. And I probably should get some more. I just kind of haven't gotten around to it. That's one of my things is I just got so much to do. But um, I'm curious about this drugstore thing because I think the price point is, you know, a fraction of what you would pay if you were actually yeah. going to, you know, a specialist to get this done. But, you know, do you really want to mess with that? Because for me, with my feet, you know, I had knee problems and whatnot and that was directly related to having you know either flat feet or I, I don't know I think I overcompensated and had a, too much of an arch it was very bizarre but no. uh, you know it became an issue with time with shin splints and stuff so uh, you know is it is it worth it for your health to be say you know yeah. doing this sort of an, as a half measure I mean I suppose if it's like proven that it's going to work but uh, it, part of the whole healthcare system is trust uh, ideally anyways and Very much. you know you like I've got a dentist I'm going to go to Alberta for this dentist because this guy is so good and you know I trust this person and uh, um, you know I think that that goes a long way so again this is going to have to happen and you know with, with Smile Direct yeah. is they're going to have to be able to yeah. build a level of trust if this is going to be rolled out to other shoppers drug mart stores in Canada yeah well w- when you take a look at some of the competitors of Shoppers Drug Mart that are bringing in other medical um, services, like for example, Costco. We talked about them in a previous podcast, but if you take a look, they have like optometrists there. They also have... um, the pharmacies there too but they also have things like the um hearing specialists like those are actually like you actually see like the optometrist is in and then you can kind of look in the door there and they actually have all the equipment that you would expect that would be there so that is a level of trust building that you don't necessarily um would waver from so i would feel comfortable going to costco for that type of service um, whereas when you take a look at what's going on with um, Shoppers Drug Mart, they literally are just going down the path of um, scanning your teeth and then sending it off to like some other headquarters to be uh, analyzed and then it would be shipped off to you for um, for use at your home, right? Other than the Botox thing. But I think Costco is another example though where they actually are going down like oh, yeah. the full service route for the the people who have memberships, right? Oh, definitely. They're, they're almost, con- they're concessions, right? Like they're basically like a medical facility within. Yeah, I, I don't see that as a problem at all. I mean, again, always you want to have that trust in the medical facility. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I don't think 
consumers would really need a, a leap in that respect unless, you know, there was, I don't know, <laughs> uh, you know, something there that, you know, created that, you know, lack of trust. Like, these are not real doctors, you know. This is like, uh, what's that doctor off The Simpsons? Uh, you know? <laughs> I don't even know. I haven't watched The Simpsons ever. <laughs> Dr. Marvin Monroe. No, anyways, yeah, you don't want, you don't want someone who's going to be... Uh, uh, you know, not able to do what they're supposed to do, especially if it's something serious and you could get injured as a result. Yeah. Well, and again, we should highlight that we aren't saying or implying that Shoppers Drug Mart or the Smile Direct Club is um, potentially going to be harming anybody in any of the um, procedures or services that they are offering. It's more that we're highlighting that a lot of people's dental experience is built up over their lifetime. And it's usually from a family physician or family um, dental office that they go to, they trust. And then when you're potentially going to pick up your um, parcel at Shoppers Drug Mart and you're going to go pick up your prescription and you're picking up a couple odds and ends, and then you see something like this, which is dental orientated, it's going to be a tough stigma for Shoppers Drug Mart to cross in order to be successful with this strategy. Botox, sure. But no, at the end of the day, I'm interested to see how this strategy unfolds. And a quick word from our sponsor, Oberfeld Snowcap, for this week's podcast. They are founded 40 years ago and is a full-service real estate and retail advisory firm that focuses on retail tenant representation, strategic planning, property, and project leasing, as well as real estate investment sales. Thank you, Oberfeld Snowcap, for this week's support, and we'll look forward to working with you more. And the second article that we wanted to highlight from this week's most read articles is to do with Amazon. Um, apparently, they're launching the Amazon business in Canada, and we were kind of going through what the competitors should be thinking about that, as well as highlighting what the service is all about. But still, like it's interesting because everyone is very well versed with Amazon Prime, Amazon Prime Week, all that kind of stuff. But it's interesting to see what they're trying to do to um, try to capitalize on the business side of the spectrum. Because at the, I think the market right now in Canada has people like Staples, Best Buy, Grand & Toy in the online. But still, like I'm interested to see what's your thought, Craig, on what's going to happen for these players as well as Amazon when they start launching or fully get into the market. Yeah, I thought this was interesting because, um, you know, I received a pitch uh, about this and at first I thought, oh, okay, well, you know, and then I thought about it for a second. I thought, well, there are other players in this space and, you know, Amazon already kind of wants to take over the world in terms of retail. I mean, just look at what they're doing. I mean, they've moved to all kinds of different categories, you know, I mean, they're making inroads into fashion mm -hmm. in a big way and, you know, they started off as a book retailer. So uh, when I look at something like this, I say, well, geez, I mean, you know, they're out to eat someone else's lunch. And in this case, it's going to be retailers that are, you know, trying to get, you know, business from, you know, other businesses, I guess you'd say. So, um, you know, Amazon's trying to innovate. They've got, you know, a price tier, they'll deliver stuff. And, uh, but, yeah, this is something actually Lee, you you might know more about from your you know other work experience is that uh, I mean they're char you know Amazon's charging prices for this stuff here I wonder if you're going to be getting the savings because I think Staples does this for free and it provides analytics and whatnot as well yeah well and when I was looking at the tiers on their website there's four tiers and all in Canadian dollars but it's uh, essentials for like a hundred nine dollars which is you know for basic very basic. Small, which is $499 per year, is up to 10 users, which would be like a mom and pop kind of shop. A medium being $1,299 for up to 100 users. Okay, cool. And then enterprise would be $10,099 annually for 101 and more. So when you're jumping from $1,299 to $10,099, that's steep. 
<laughs> exactly. If you get 101 employees, you're like, oh, God. Yeah, can you imagine <laughs> if you're at the 101 and you're like, oh, my gosh, we have to fire somebody because we need to save 10 grand with Amazon. You're gone, Sally. Sorry. Like, that's just, oh, thank you, Amazon, for putting me in that spot. So that's just, it's weird, the tears that they have. But there was two other marketing messages that I wanted to bring up, which was kind of interesting to me. First, that they wanted to offer um, for the business customers who want fast and free delivery, which was odd to me because when you take a look at their competitors, they, especially if you have a business account with them, you probably are going to get fast and free delivery anyway. So that's not necessarily a good differentiator to go with Amazon business, but you know, okay. So I was setting that one aside and I took a look at the next one, which is they were providing convenient value analytics and control over the procurement experience, which again, it makes it sound like that Amazon is like groundbreaking in that. When we take a look at these small retailers, okay, let's, or the person who's spending $499 for up to 10 users, like how many pencils do you need to buy in order to make that worthwhile? And I don't know if any amount of analytics and reporting and control over procurement experience is going to make that worthwhile. But then when you take a look, even at the other end of the spectrum, like the enterprise that is going to be spending $10,099 annually for like, you know, 101 employees or more, like they have a procurement department that has maybe 10 people in it that are going to be very excited about getting these kinds of reports, which probably you know, Best Buy, Staples and Grand & Toy is going to be providing as well. But the rest of the organization, whether that be 500, 5,000, 50,000 people are just wanting to buy their damn pencil. So at the end of the day, like, I mean, if they're just going to go to the website, they're going to say, add to cart, and then they're going to go say, please check out. And then if it's like a horror show to try to get like it purchased, because like, what's my cost center? Where am I shipping it to? Is it shipping to the right spot? It's just that <laughs> whole experience is where things fall down. So like, if Amazon can make that a smoother process for the rest of those 5,000, 50,000, you know, whatever thousand people it is, then that's where they would have the value to it, not getting extra, you know, procurement experience, controls, analytics, and free and fast delivery. That's not necessarily going to be a good differentiator coming into this marketplace as far as I can tell. I wonder about service because, you know, Best Buy has Geek Squad, right? They brought that into Canada a while back and, uh, you know, they're, it's basically, you know, it's fast, efficient, you know, service if you need it from, from the retailer, which is pretty cool. I mean, some other retailers out there do seem to have an interesting value proposition and if they're not charging on top of that and are providing, you know, relevant analytics that would be useful to whoever would need them, mm -hmm. uh, you know, is Amazon's movement to this space, uh, you know, a big thing? I mean, I, I know I put a title in the article and I said retailers should be worried. And But what's funny, actually, Lee, talking to you after, because I have less, less experience in this area. I mean, I haven't really worked for gigantic companies and been buying stuff around there. I mean, I, yeah. you know, I've worked for the provincial mm -hmm. government once, but I, I don't know. I think we just had all the stuff there already. <laughs> like, it was not part of my job to ever do it. So, um it's i mean it remains to be seen if this will be successful i mean immediately when i think of amazon doing something i would assume that it's well thought out and that it's something that's capable of grabbing significant market share but in this case maybe not yeah well i was just left with the marketing messages and thinking to myself so what so you want me to go buy a membership for 109 dollars annually or $499 for up to 10 users for it. Let's, let's just take that one. Like at least with Amazon Prime, I could get like the video service as well as um, a variety of other like things like free shipping and all that kind of stuff that I would normally have to pay if I'm just a regular schmuck and not necessarily a business account. 
where they're trying to tote that, oh, you'll get free shipping and delivery. Well, you'd be getting that as a business anyhow. And uh, similarly, like for the $499, what else do you get with that? So like, yeah, well, how much for, let's say, a small shop of 10 people, so they're buying pencils, toner, all that kind of stuff. Like how hog wild do those people have to go that you need to spend $500 per year to have a report on what they've spent or be able to like restrict the type of stuff that they get, unless there's like a bigger, wider, you know, marketplace or something that you need some controls on that. But still, is $500 for that less than 10 user business a worthwhile proposition? I have a hard time seeing the value to that. Now, what I would see is if they, if they went and said, okay, for the people who are signed up with the business for this amount, or you know, all of your employees could have that Amazon Prime or something, but hey. Yeah, I wish you report back on this in a while if something comes about. I mean, uh, I, I'm kind of curious too. I mean, this may not be a great idea. They should probably hire you as a consultant. Or I don't know about that. <laughs> I'm just like pulling from my experience that happened literally last week with one of the Amazon's competitors where I had to go purchase a USB headset because my one currently snapped in half. So I literally went to their website, went through the process to add it to cart, and then went through the checkout process, and then it went on all to hell in a handbasket. It's like, it's going to the wrong place. What's my cost center? All that kind of stuff. And yeah. I literally was trying to go to my boss to say, what do I do with this? And literally then the next day when I tried to get up the gumption to do it again, I'm like, oh dear God, maybe I should just duct tape my headset back together instead of doing this all again. So if Amazon can smooth that one over and make that any better, yeah. that's where the gap is at least for me so that's so interesting i mean i guess companies are going to have to determine as well how they're going to interact with this and whether or not employees are going to have that you know flexibility to uh you know make those decisions without having to run them by and, and again it's, it's like i said it's actually isn't something i'm not super familiar with for my career i mean i haven't had a real job in like almost eight years <laughs> <laughs> since starting retail inside and we appreciate the dedication that you've had over the time <laughs> but uh back to like one of the things that i really wanted to highlight is so for $499 per year for up to 10 users, like sure, if you're going to be using one of the competitors to the Amazon business, they may be only offering like stationary. So it's not like you have other things to kind of keep your users from actually purchasing. So for example, if you're opening up the entire Amazon marketplace, then sure you may want some controls around that to keep your employees from buying that personal snowblower. But still, like for $499 for under 10 users, would it be better to just, I don't know, have one person with the credit card doing the purchases instead of opening it up and worrying about all those other users? Yeah, remains to be seen. I mean, like I said, I'm curious to see how this all turns out. But so that's the reason why I was excited about talking about Amazon because of my personal experience about it, um, or at least with their competitors. But the third article that we wanted to highlight for this podcast was to do with the sportswear Under Armour brand. So apparently it's launching, it's a Canadian store with an expansion, but it's a brand house as opposed to an outlet, which I wasn't even aware that they had stores. So this is all new information for me, Craig, but could you kind of go through like what this expansion means and how this whole strategy is unfolding for the Canadian marketplace? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you go to some of the large American cities, they have these gigantic Under Armour stores. I think the one in New York is about 53,000 square feet or something like that. Like, it's, it's huge. So the one at the CF Toronto Eaton Centre, the first standalone brand house, as they call it in Canada, it's just under 3,100 square feet. So much, much smaller, obviously. Um, 
dude, this would be the first brand house in Canada. Basically, what it is is like you know a dedicated Under Armour store that has Under Armour product and uh, is not an outlet or factory outlet store. So there's a few other uh, Under Armour factory outlet stores in Canada already, and they're you know kind of in those say outlet centers that you might see around the country and then you've got uh, this one store at cf toronto eaton center i, I think more are going to come i mean they haven't confirmed anything but you know a, a retailer like that doesn't just open one store in the market and then say goodbye yeah fair well and i was also wondering is there any particular reason toronto eaton center versus other cities and the reason why i say that is i'm from vancouver so there's a lot of outdoorsy kind of people that are you know it's more out and about kind of a a city so like hikers um going and not that there isn't hikers and stuff in other provinces and stuff but the um quintessential picture of the beautiful bc is hikers and active people which i would assume under armor would want to target um not yeah so i i, I understand toronto is the first go but would you see like vancouver as a second um stop on the bus or or a Definitely. different strategy. I mean, or at least a secondary market. I mean, I, I figure that Toronto, for a few reasons, there's a clustering of um, similar brands and retailers at CF Toronto Eaton Centre. So, you know, it's a big shopping centre. It's the busiest in North America in terms of the number of people that go through there yearly. So you've got, you know, it's almost like having a billboard and for advertising when you have a store in that shopping yeah. centre. Even Fair. if people aren't shopping, yeah. lots of tourists come down there. Um, I think Toronto and Baltimore, so it's headquartered in Baltimore, I think they're in the tam- same time zone. I have to check on that because the time zone's kind of, I, I think they are. Uh, they kind of go over because Chicago is one over from us in Ontario. But, um, you know, again, I think it was just kind of an easy move to leap over to Canada's largest city and city region with, uh, with this concept to test it out because you know Toronto Raptors uh, you know had a big win you oh, know yes. um, if you go yes. up the street there's a big uh, uh, Michael Jordan branded store um, you've got a big Adidas store at 10 Dundas uh, I think the address is 10 Dundas it's in the 10 Dundas uh, East building anyways and so you've got this clustering of um, similar brands so I think that you know that was I think part of the reason that uh, Under Armour moved into that space and uh, actually there's something interesting I won't say who it was I got an interesting email today about that article Oh, really? Yeah, it was from an analyst. And again, I'm not going to give any identities away. I don't want anybody getting in trouble. But they said, oh, my God, you mentioned something about, uh, you know, uh, Nike pulling back on its wholesale as they go direct to consumer with stores. This is something I've been kind of talking about for the last few weeks. And they were quite concerned. I actually sent them an article about that to confirm it. And uh, I think there is, like I said, a bit of a concern around, you know, entities that are dealing with multi-brand retailers and you know the threat that brands will pull out and just open their own stores and so i wrote in this article about under armor i said uh, you know this could happen i mean i'm definitely not confirming anything by any means i'm not familiar with how this whole distribution system is going to work with under armor as it continues to open you know these brand stores in canada but uh you know looking at a bigger trend in the retail industry this is quite possible that we may see you know under armor stores in the malls and you can go online and uh, buy stuff too if you want and uh, you know maybe there's going to be fewer uh, you know multi-brand retailers with this brand but i gotta you know again you know say that i'm just speculating at this point i don't have any insider information whatsoever about that yet so but it's a trend when it makes sense for under armor like congratulations welcome to canada um <laughs> As far as the whole, like, uh, previous podcast that we had with, let's say, uh, Harry Rosen and um, Canada Goose, as well as uh, taking, like, a Dyson opening up their own stores and stuff like that, um, we are seeing these kinds of examples that are coming through, 
And it does make sense for brands to be looking at their bottom line, making decisions on should they or shouldn't they be going the wholesaler route or complementary or giving a priority to one or the other and then changing their mind along the way too, you know? Yeah, because, I mean, when brands open their own stores, potentially there's a higher profit margin for that brand because, you know, when they've got a wholesaler, there's a middleman uh, or, you know, middle retailer. I mean, we don't want to say man. It's probably not even PC to say that. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, at the, at the same time, I mean, there is a risk around that in terms of, you know, you have to build the store and you have to you know pay rent on it. And, you know, there's all that as well. But, you know, Canada Goose was uh, finding higher profits by opening its own stores. And that's why it's continuing to do so. And uh, we'll be doing a bit more uh, reporting on luxury retail. We seem to be doing that quite a bit. Retail Insider, uh, we're waiting for some information from Tag Heuer. But, uh, you know, there are a few brands out there that are, uh, you know, opening these direct-to-consumer stores and they may be pulling their distribution back from multi-brand retailers. So uh, it is an interesting time because this is, you know, a major trend that I've been watching and I've been watching with some fascination because, uh, you know, years ago, if we had these standalone stores in Canada, quite often they were franchises, you know, they were, you know, maybe licensed, uh, you know, whatever arrangements were made there. But now corporations are actually, you know, going out and opening their own stores if their brands are strong. So, you know, Nike is opening stores around the country and, you know, they didn't seem to want a lot of press coverage. They weren't super cooperative with us in terms of, uh, you know, giving us any information for any articles <laughs> in the past oh. several years. Thank you, Nike. Mm. Uh, Adidas was a lot better. But, uh, you know, these brands are opening stores and uh, we're going to see a lot of Nike stores opening still. I mean, we've seen quite a few. They've quietly opened like a dozen, I think, in the GTA alone. So, uh, you know, this is certainly something to watch out for, I think, generally. And, you know, for multi-brand retailers out there, what can you do? I mean... Find some new brands. No, I, mean, I should say that. I mean, exclusive brands always work. Like, look at Aritzia. I mean, they're most of what you'll find in an Aritzia store now is is one of their own brands that they've developed. And uh, you know, to me, yeah. that's pretty smart because, you know, you're not going to find Babaton at the Bay or you know, you know, or Wilfred, one of those brands. I mean, you're only going to get it at Aritzia and. Uh, um, you know, Ritzia just introduced a man's puffer jacket. I talked about that on Business oh, in yes, Vancouver <laughs> recently. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, private label. I mean, no other store is going to have that puffer jacket. I wouldn't wear it, honestly. It looks like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. But uh, you know what? That jacket's going to sell out because uh, about half of, I think, menswear is bought by women for men. And uh, they'll be in Ritzia and they'll probably pick it up for their boyfriend, husband, son, whatever, you know, whoever's shopping there. And uh, mm. we'll do quite well. But, it, you know, private label, I think, is one way to get around the whole uh, concern around, you know, a multi-brand retailer. Uh, losing brands to their own stores. Ground. So is there any news from around the web that you would like to highlight for the listeners? Yeah, there's actually one that I thought was kind of interesting. There's a shopping center in downtown mm-hmm. Hamilton that uh, they're looking at redeveloping with housing. And, um, you know, we we're just finalizing the Retail Council of Canada shopping center study. And one of the big uh, parts of this is looking at what the future of shopping centers will look like. And um, I think it was on Tuesday of this week, uh, Burnaby City Council approved uh, a plan to basically, uh, in decades and decades to come, blow up Metropolis at Metrotown and turn it into a downtown core. So, you know, Metropolis, as you know, if you've been to that shopping center, it's a big, gigantic shopping center, and it's kind of expanded in phases. I remember back when there was an Eaton Center in Metrotown and Station Square, and there was actually three shopping centers. They merged together. That's, you know, how old I am. But um, you know, in decades to come, and this could be 80 to 100 years. We're not talking next year, so n- nobody panic, especially if it's a store in there. But they're looking at creating a street grid with houses, or sorry, with, I should say, high-rises that are on streets. You'd have retail. They're not, you know, getting rid of them all. It's a very productive shopping center. It's one of the top of the country, and, you know, it's big and it's busy. It's got, you know, all the 
elements you want from a successful mall for the most part. But, um, you know, there's a real movement towards redeveloping, creating high-density full communities. So uh, I'm going to be speaking at the uh, Retail Council of Canada Brick and Mortar Forum. It's being held November 19th, which is a Tuesday uh, in the morning at 8.30 uh, in the morning. We're going to have a piece out on Retail Insider to talk about that. Do people want to sign up and come? And uh, I'll be talking a little bit about the study. And that includes talking about the future of shopping centers and how they're becoming complete communities. And what I thought was really neat is uh, Victor Gruen, who invented the shopping center uh, in decades past, uh, had this vision that the shopping center would be like a European times, you know, or, or town square, not times square, town square, <laughs> where, um, you know, you'd go and you can have a coffee and sit and meet with friends and, you know, people may live nearby and, you know, they have offices and shops and, you know, commercial landlords went out and they said, oh, we can make money leasing space to retailers. So they created kind of the shopping center that we've gotten used to, which was just one element of what you know Victor Gruen had in terms of his vision of what a shopping center would be you know when he died he was angry I mean he you know I think he used some profanity that you know my upbringing wouldn't allow me to you know say publicly but uh, <laughs> um, you know he, he was he was really unhappy with what he'd seen in terms of how developers had basically you know run with the fashion mall model and not created these complete communities and what I think is really neat is you know as we get towards towards the end of this generation and we you know move into decades to come we're actually finally seeing his vision of what this complete community would be in our shopping centers so um anyway when i was talking to jessica finch she's you know on our team as an editor and um you know i was just talking to her about how um our cities are actually going to transform because of this uh, i mean one example is scarborough town center in toronto it's got i believe it's on a 100 acre site and there are plans eventually to put 36 residential towers on that site and, and i'm not even talking about demolishing the shopping malls so the reason i think this is incredible is i think that that center alone could house you know somewhere towards 30,000 people and then they're building around it so in other words the redevelopment of the shopping center and metropolis at metro town which would be similarly large these are actually creating downtown cores in our cities and these are new downtown cores that we didn't have before so it, it's really actually transforming the urban fabric and it's creating you know more urban nodes that will have transportation around them um, you know they have full amenities high density housing perhaps that's better for the environment perhaps we'll have autonomous vehicles self-driving cars at that point who knows I mean I think society is about to see a major shift but uh, it's just kind of really really exciting so um, you know I'll put a little plug in if you want to come out November 19th I, uh, in, in Toronto it's at the Toronto Reference Library which is just off the corner of Young and Bloor I'm excited because I get to just walk there in about five minutes but uh, <laughs> uh, I think it'll be really fun and you know I think we'll talk a little bit more about shopping centers uh, maybe we'll do a special edition or something like that because actually we will um because uh you know there's a real movement like i said and I'm, I'm interested in urban planning and cities and so when you look at the future of shopping centers it isn't just about retail and malls it's really a story about the you know transformation of our society i think that's a wrap for the podcast craig so thank you for going through the popular content that our readers really enjoyed over the last week uh, we wanted to remind everybody that we do have an email newsletter that goes out every morning and it contains links to all of our Retail Insider content that just uh, came out over the last little bit. Uh, the most popular is, of course, the Canadian news from around the web, which is a curation of all the previous uh, 24 hours worth of Canadian news of retail nature. Uh, but it also has a link to all the different news articles that we published ourselves that ex is exclusive to Retail Insider. So if you go to retail-insider.com, you can find uh, the subscribe area so that you can start getting that email in your inbox every morning. 
But thanks again for listening to this podcast. Please do subscribe and be notified when new episodes of this podcast are published. But also please do rate us five stars because it does boost our discoverability in conjunction with subscribing people. So thanks again, everyone, for listening. And Craig, thanks for joining me to chat about the articles too. Thank you so much, everyone. Take care. And as a little teaser, we'll be talking about Italy pretty soon. I have visited (laughs) in Toronto. (laughs) Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Thank you.